Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad you're here. As we begin our time of worship through song, I'll invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to sing to the Lord. So let's stand together and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy
Church. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. If you're next to a father, just do a little high five action. If you forgot your gift, now's the time to Amazon it before you get home. I want to welcome you. Here at La Jolla Community Church, we want to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. It's our, it's our responsibility and it's our opportunity to take the gospel forth wherever we work, live, and play. And we want to just encourage you in that. We want to be here to support you. And I want to point your, your attention to, not Steve's sermon, but to, who is a bulletin? To our bulletin, who had laid it high. Early in the first service, it was a little warm, so this kid has multi-purpose. But in the back, we have our connection card. If this is your first time, or you call La Jolla Community Church home, we want to connect with you. This is how we communicate. And on the back of that is our prayer request card. If you're a human and you know other humans, they probably need prayer. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot of people having sickness. There's a lot of people going through tough times. And there's people going through amazing times. We want to pray with you through all those. And we want to connect with you. So we take that opportunity to fill those out. There's pens in the seats in front of you. At the end of the service, the ushers will come forward and connect and grab those cards from you. And if you're a first-time visitor, come see me after the service. Well, there's a lot going on if you're flipping through the bulletin. If you want to know more that's going on at La Jolla Community Church, go to ljcc.org, ljcc.org, really simple. And you can see all the events and all the things that are happening here. But we want to highlight two big things. First, our summer fun nights. After all this time, it's finally here. I want to give a shout out to the 55, 55 volunteers that did training last week. What an amazing opportunity. And if you still want to volunteer, you got to get in and see Rihanna, who's in the front row here. And she'll give you some more training. But it, what an amazing opportunity. 55 volunteers from this congregation. And our attendance of children doubled after last week. Well, if you want to be a volunteer, you need to get in this week because you need to be trained. You need to be checked because we want to make a safe environment for our kids. But if you know kids that want to come or you haven't signed up your kids, they can sign up any of the five weeks. It's going to be an amazing time. It starts this Wednesday, the 20th. Be there, bring kids, bring your neighbors. If you're having a problem getting money to pay for it, just come see us, come talk to us. We want to bless our community, and we want you to be able to bless those around you. Another opportunity is our membership class. If you haven't been to our membership class, this is an opportunity. If you've been coming for a while and you're like, hey, I want to know more about what's going on at this church. I hear that guy that gets up there every week and he says a bunch of random stuff, but I want to know what's going on. This is an opportunity for you. 
Or maybe you've kind of been sitting on the fence. You're like, you know what? I really call this place home, and I want to make it official. This is the event from you. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going to go from 9 to 12 p.m. I think it says 1, but we're going to shorten it because we want to make it that much easier. And we're going to have food throughout the whole thing. And you're going to hear the stories of this church. You're going to hear the stories of the people in this church. You're going to get to hear from Pastor Steve and Pastor Dom about what's going on here. It's going to be an amazing time. So if you want to sign up for that, or if you just want to ask more questions, come see me after the service. Well, like I said in the beginning, it is Father's Day, and myself, I'm a father of four, so just getting here is a a praiseworthy event. Ah, the first service didn't laugh at that. (laughs) But I I just want to say a prayer for the fathers. So would you pray with me? Dear Lord, Abba Father, we just thank you so much that you are our Father in heaven, and you give us all we need. You give us our daily bread. Lord, you created this world and you put, created us in your image. Lord, we are just so thankful. Lord, we're just so thankful that you are the eternal Father. Lord, we just want to pray for fatherhood just in this, this country, in this congregation, in this world, that fathers would lead their children with love, always with love, but not be afraid to use discipline and, and give wise instruction. Even when the kids wrestle against it, Lord, you would just give them that encouragement. You would give them the opportunity to operate out of love. Lord, that they would lead their families as servant leaders with you always in their sights. Lord, we pray for the fathers that are struggling, that they're just not stepping up yet, Lord, or they just need to be encouraged. They believe the lie that they're not enough. Lord, we just want to pray for those fathers that they are enough. And there's men around them, there's people around them, there's a community around them that can pour into them and help them through those tough times. That we could create a generation of men that is pouring into the children and pouring into the families of this country and of this community and of this church. That they would create a wave, a wave of the gospel going forward, that men would just be at the forefront of that and surrounding their families, being with their families, walking with their families through this. Lord, we just thank you so much. We also recognize that this is a difficult day for some as they've lost their fathers. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're with us even in those tough times. Lord, we just thank you for the men in this congregation that are not fathers and have stepped up to just be that father figure for others. Lord, you're doing an amazing work in the men in this church and in this community. Lord, we just pray that you continue to guide us and strengthen us. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. And we, in the spirit of Father's Day, have some child dedications for the Guard family. So as they're coming up, I'm just going to remind us the significance of child dedications and why we do those here. And it's a two-part commitment or statement of faith. And one part is on behalf of the parents. They're committing to raise their children uh, under God's grace and wisdom. And we know that parents are the primary pastors to their kids. So dedicating their children shows that they recognize their children as a gift from God. And they're dedicating themselves as parents to be godly examples to these children. And it doesn't secure salvation, but it's this beautiful symbolic moment entrusting the children's lives to God's will. So it's this beautiful thing, but that's not it. At the same time, They don't have to do parenting alone. Uh, We as a congregation, as a family of families, get to commit to being their community and their support as they raise these kids to follow Christ. And we as a church body are promising to dedicate ourselves to following God so that they know what that looks like and to come alongside this family through the journey of parenting. So let me introduce this incredible family. We have Jenny and Emma. This is little Emma. And we have Clark and Caleb. Stop, they're so precious. (laughs) And we have grandparents, Shirley and Gary. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Colorado. Um, so we, this is the Berngard family. Now you know them. Now you can say hi to them on Sundays and give them a hug and some coffee. Um, and so I wanted to ask your family, what does dedicating your children mean to you? Uh, we were talking about it. And for us, uh, dedicating our kids is really to submit them to the Lord, uh, to trust that his ways are better than ours, uh, to, commit, uh, to commit to do our best to raise them in the training, the instruction of Jesus, uh, to commit to pray for them, uh, that they grew in wisdom and stature, uh, and that his grace is upon them, in the hope that someday they can have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's amazing. 
amazing. Amen. Did you want to add anything to that? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great. And then the second part is us as a community dedicating ourselves to support and encourage this family. So we have a statement that we are going to read together to the Berngard family. Will you read this with me? In the presence of God our Father, who has brought this church into being, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone upon which this church is built, and the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to be his body on earth. We rejoice with the Berngard family today in faithfulness to the church of past generations and the living church throughout the world today. We commit to love and care for you and to uphold you in prayer as we endeavor to fulfill the purposes for which we have been called together. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, redeemed, and made to be a community united in faith. Thanks be to God. And now I'm going to pray for this family. If you'd like to join me by stretching out your hand to them, that would be wonderful. God, we lift up these children and we praise you that Caleb and Emma are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image and to your glory. And we pray that they would grow up strong and healthy, that they would know your presence every day of their lives. And we pray more than anything that these children will one day decide to follow you as their Lord and Savior. God, we lift up these parents and we pray over Jenny and Clark that you would give them great patience and strength and wisdom to teach and demonstrate the ways of the Lord. We pray your grace and mercy and truth over their lives. Give these parents discernment and perseverance to love these children the way you love us, Heavenly Father. And as you are the good shepherd, may these parents and grandparents Follow your loving guidance and follow your example for the flock entrusted to them. And God, may this congregation wrap loving arms around this family, that they may have many people to turn to for encouragement and celebration and challenges and in grief. May we help in giving them rest and providing godly examples for these parents and children to follow. God, we entrust these kids and this precious family to you, and we thank you for them. Amen. Right, Kayla? Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen. So now you know these guys. Uh, when you see them on Sunday, you know their names. Give them a hug, like I said. Throw them some coffee. But don't forget to lift them up in prayer with us. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Rihanna. Well, Father's Day, as one kid put it, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, but it costs a lot less. I don't know where that kid got that insight, but somehow it sticked. Um, here's my message to fathers. You may be concerned that your children, as they grow up, will not listen to what you say. I can assure you they won't. But I can also assure you they will watch everything you do. They will watch everything you do. And so make sure that whatever you say is congruent, consistent with what you do. Uh, this is the great thing about being a parent who walks with Christ, in that our primary identity is not what we do for a living. Uh, Clark and Jen are physicians. Their primary duty is to love one another in that covenant called marriage as husband and wife, and together to love those children and be pastors to their children. That's a high and holy calling, don't you think? To be pastors to your children? Who feels competent to do that? Uh, none of us. And yet in Christ, as Rihanna said so beautifully, as Clark said so beautifully on, on behalf of the family, uh, this is the great legacy that God gives to us, to learn how to be what he's called us to be, what he's made us to be. Uh, and so we want to be talking about that uh, today in the second week of our series, uh, the Living Well series. It's a bit of a twofer. It's sort of a play on words because Jesus is the living well. Jesus is a living well uh, for us living well. We drink deep from that well, uh, the well of the living water, and out of that comes a life uh, that allows us to then thrive and grow and flourish in him. And so when the Bible talks about living well, what it's really talking about is God-quality life. 
It's not somehow us getting it together enough to convince everybody that we uh, have it together and that we're living the good life. It's rather saying, you know, God has called me into a relationship. And in that relationship, the goodness of God indwells me. And out of that presence of God, that abiding presence of the God who is not only good but great, is perfect in every way, the outworking of that relationship transforms me, transforms you, transforms us, makes possible what otherwise would not be possible. Because what dad would stand up and say, I am a pastor to my children. And yet in Christ, that becomes not just a boast, because it's not, it becomes a confession of faith. You know what? By God's grace, against all odds, I've been called to be a pastor to my children. And a mom, likewise, I'm a pastor to my children. What's your greatest legacy as mothers and fathers? Being pastors to your children. That's the legacy that we bequeath that, that moth and rust cannot spoil, that thief cannot steal, that basically is enduring, and that is a legacy multi-generationally. Generation after generation, uh, what greater thing can we give to our kids? So that's where we're going today as we talk about living the good life. So the first big point is this. The first two chapters of the Bible tell us that God made us for a good life. Uh, if you've ever read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 opens up with this description of creation. And it's not a scientific description, but it's, it's a declarative description. God made everything. And it shows an order of creation. And within that creation, it's punctuated by a phrase in the Hebrew. Uh, and God said it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And when we get to the point where uh, humankind, um, uh, male and female, were created, it's good, good. It's very good. Uh, so the first two, two chapters are awesome. And then it turns a corner, sadly. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 describes how we tragically turned away from the good life that God created us for. Having been instructed to be stewards of all creation, to manage this beautiful gift of creation, somehow we thought we could do a better deal. And so humankind then intentionally, naively, but intentionally, purposely, turns away from God saying, I think we can get a better deal. I think we can do better than the God who just made this beautiful, perfect creation. And so the rest of the story uh, is this downward slide into chaos, disharmony, oblivion. Um, it reminds me of, if you've ever read a, one of the great mountaineering classics, uh, it's called Annapurna. And Annapurna is the second highest mountain in the world. Everybody knows about Everest, not many people know about Annapurna. But one of the greatest mountaineering stories of all time is Annapurna. That they climb Annapurna, a French team from Chamonix, the climbing area in the Alps, uh, they, they take on Annapurna. And this is a massive book. It's like the Bible is so fat and big. And, and so you start reading this book, and 20 pages into this four or five or 600 page book, they're on the top of Annapurna. And you think, what's the rest of the book going to be about? Where could they possibly go from this? They're on the summit. And of course, the rest of it is this incredible tragedy. Uh, of, of chaos and disharmony and people come back without fingers and toes and some don't come back at all. And, and so this is the story of the Bible. We're made for a good life as something has horribly gone wrong. And then the rest of the Bible is about God pursuing us, God initiating uh, a rescue operation on our behalf, redeeming not just us but all creation. Uh, it's a harrowing and inspiring story. Uh, it's rooted in history, it emerges out of geography, it, it's a unified literary whole. We believe it's the word of God. And so if you haven't read it, I strongly encourage you to read that. And so we see that in, in the uh, early uh, uh, chapters of Genesis, uh, hum humanity is in chaos, and eventually God reaches out to a man named Abram, later Abraham, and he calls him and says, look, I'm going to create a nation through you. I'm going to give you a family, you and your wife, Sarai, later Sarah, do not have children. You're going to have children, though you now describe yourself as barren. I will not only give you a family, I will create a nation through you, like the sands uh, on the beach, right? And through that family and that nation, all nations, all families will be blessed. And so that's the beginning of God's rescue, rescue operation. And the idea was that in the process of God blessing the world through them, uh, they would experience the good life. This life that can only be explained by God's presence in their midst. And, uh, and if they didn't obey that, uh, and, and not only obey God and, uh, and bless others, they would languish and fail. And so we see the big instruction given to them is, they, is they, the, the history of this family and this nation develops. Eventually they're in, uh, they're in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God releases them from Pharaoh's grip. 
they, they make another tragic error and start complaining that God uh, didn't think of all the logistics of this trip to the promised land. And they get in, in a big uh, hissy fit, a big pouting match. You know, uh, who can pout more in this nation of people? And pretty soon God says, fine, I'll give you 40 years to think about it as you wander around so that I can prepare you for the land of promise that I'm leading you to. So now finally they get to this place of promise. And, and here's the message out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the great passages of scripture. Embedded in this is probably the greatest prayer and declaration of Israel's identity as a people and uh, theologically. So it says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life, a good life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now the idea, again, was for them to be blessed, to be a blessing. To be separate, that is to be belong entirely to God, and not be um, compromised by these false gods around them. But in the midst of being faithful to God, they would be a light shining. They'd be the, the portal for the rest of the nations to experience this incredible God of all creation. Now here's, the, here's the, the prayer and the declaration of faith embedded in this passage. It's called the Shema. Shema is simply the imperative of listen up, listen, hear. And, and, it, and, the, and the first four words of it are, are the most profound theological statement in scripture. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Israel, Jehovah, the holy name of God, Adonai, the name we know as Lord, Echad. Shema Yisrael, Jehovah, Adonai, Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your Hearts at the core of your identity. <clears throat> Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. It's this powerful, beautiful moment of hope and promise. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well. And here's why. Another tragedy within the tragedy. It didn't go well because Israel kept editing God out of the good life he gave them. They would say things that God had told them to say, but meanwhile their hearts were far from him and they compromised themselves. And so uh, they become enslaved, they become exiled. Uh, 10 of the 12 tribes disappear. Uh, many of the Jews, most of them live in a diaspora mode, uh, scattered. And so it, it's, it goes very badly because they edited God out of their life. How are you doing with that? Do you have a tendency to edit God out of your life? Inadvertently, you might have a very sincere, genuine faith. Uh, for me, uh, I, I know a lot of theology. I can articulate a faith. It's orthodox. I really do believe it. And yet, so functionally, I am often an atheist. I, should, I feel like I should have a bumper sticker that says, the car is Christian, the driver is a lunatic. You know, um, <laughs> this car is Christian, uh, is owned by a Christian. The, Christian, the driver, not so much, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, don't you find yourself finding those moments when all of a sudden you're panicking, you're worrying, and all of a sudden you realize, well, why am I worrying? If God is God, he's calling me into this life of goodness based on his grace and his love. Why do I doubt that? I've seen examples of it. I've experienced it. So this is the human dilemma, isn't it? And so what we see by, by way of the, of the developing story, uh, God's story in history, is that at just the right time, God himself came into the world to make it right. Uh, we read in, in, I think it's in John's Gospel, it says, and it, excuse me, in, in one of Paul's letters, at just the right time, in his letter to the Romans, at just the right time, God came into the world. Now this is scandalous for the Jew, for the Greek. Both are scandalized by this. God would, God would lower himself to come into the world? Yeah. Uh, and, and he came to redeem his people. And so the second big point of the morning, if the first one is that we're made for a good life, the second point of the morning is this. Jesus is restoring us to the good life God created us to experience. 
God himself in Christ is restoring us to the good life we were created for. So one of the great statements from Jesus uh, in John's gospel, we see this. He says, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. A very clear declaration of his intention. I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. A fully developed life. A life lived in full. Now having said that, uh, probably most of you would, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'd say, I believe that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that this, this statement is outrageous. Because immediately somebody could say, really? Are you kidding me? Seriously? Sure, tell that to the people suffering with no hope for relief in sight. How do you look somebody in the eye who is in a wretched situation, they'll never get out of the bed, they'll never get out of the misery they're in, and you say, you know what, Jesus came to give you life in all its fullness. Does that not kind of chill uh, the conversation about this incredible statement from Jesus. So here's, here's how I suggest you handle that and how you see that. This is my response to that. Look, I don't know how or when God will fulfill this in you. I just know that God keeps his promises. I just know from the testimony of God's word, the efficacy, the veracity, the reliability of God's word that he keeps his promises and he created you for a, a full life. I don't know when or how he will fulfill that. I just know he will based on his promises. My job and your job is not to explain everything to everybody. Perhaps the conversation goes like this. You know, I don't know what that's gonna look like, but right now you can experience the goodness of God in your life. And I'm gonna do everything in my power to help you do that. So the guy that I wheeled out in his chair to his car today, said, you know what? I believe that. I'm experiencing the goodness of God in my life in spite of the situation I'm in. This is a radical thing. Because now instead of looking at somebody and saying, gee, I hope you get better. Um, I hope it gets well for you. Uh, we can say, you know what? I don't know how or when, what it's going to look like, but you're going to experience God's goodness in your life now and forever. Emphasis might, might be on the forever. And so we don't ever pull back from saying Jesus didn't come that he might have life in all its fullness. We just say we live in a fallen world. In the midst of that fallen world, God himself is saying, I made you for a better life. I want to write a better story in your life. And so will we be faithful in telling this good news to people? Not talking them out of their misery, not rationalizing their misery, there's nothing beautiful about being impoverished or being oppressed. But there is beautiful uh, news uh, to be heard when you say there is one who knows your situation and knows you in the midst of your situation and knows what you need ultimately. Put your hope in him. So our, our hope is not just for the people who are hopeful. So if you're living a great life and you say, yeah, I believe that God came to give you life in all its fullness. I'm reminded of that every day when I drive by the ocean or I walk out under the ocean in front of my house or I you know, do the great things I get to do. This hope is for the hopeful, it's also for the hopeless. So an authentically good life reflects the inbreaking of God's kingdom. This is the deep theology that comes out of the biblical text. The Bible never ever explains away human suffering and misery, it just says God has an answer and a solution. Participate in it right now and see that the fullness of that is yet to come. And so that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're part of something that's developing. It's, it's now, true now, happening now, but, but it is yet to be fully realized. There will be a new heaven and a new earth right here on earth. Heaven isn't a place that we're going to go by express train or the next Branson rocket. You know, it's, it's a reality that God is currently establishing his kingdom. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so when our hearts belong to God and one another, that's where the good life is. This is the hope we live in, and we get to test it. We get to see the outworking of that. In the midst of the worst tragedies we can imagine or will experience, we find that the goodness of God is dependable. It breaks in in ways that sometimes make us laugh, sometimes make us weep. It gives us a sense of relief or gives us a sense of, of enduring, uh, sheer dogged endurance. In any case, this is the reality that we live in. Why is this the reality we live in? 
Uh, here's, here's a situation that Jesus experienced. A Pharisee, uh, an, an expert in the law, a person uh, really concerned to be sure that Israel was obeying God's law so they wouldn't go off the rails again. He tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Gosh, it sounds like Deuteronomy. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And of course, uh, what true blue Jew wouldn't say, yeah, you just quoted the Shema, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Then he says that the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's a mouthful. That's a major declaration. All the law. The 613 commandments. Those obligations that tell you what righteousness looks like. The words of the prophets who came to tell you to come back from the abyss and to be faithful to God. All that content is summarized in this statement. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. So if you remember, commandment is the word mitzvah. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Mitzvot, plural. So if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, a child, a son or a daughter of the commandment, if you ask a Jew, perhaps a secular Jew, uh, what do they think about the Ten Commandments, they would say, I believe in mitzvah, a mitzvot. I believe in good things. So a mitzvah can be a, a good act, doing the good thing. But also, ultimately, it's a righteous thing. It's something that links us to God and to one another with deep uh, integrity and authenticity. So this idea of the commandments being fulfilled in us uh, is, is central uh, to God's enterprise in this world, to the, to the nation and identity of Israel, and to the identity of anybody who takes up this idea that God has fulfilled and is fulfilling his commitment uh, to redeem all creation. I love the way the Apostle Paul, formerly the Rabbi uh, Saul, uh, writes in his letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, essentially, it doesn't get better than that on earth. If you want to understand the source of your hope, uh, the source of the good life, it comes down to this. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Charlie Pride? Any of you heard of him? Charlie Pride, African-American country singer. Uh, he's in his 80s now. He's won a couple dozen Grammy Awards. He's just a phenomenal person. I, I saw an interview with him in the Wall Street Journal on this, uh, it was a Saturday, uh, Friday Wall Street Journal. And he talked about being, uh, growing up in a sharecropper family in the South. His dad finished fourth grade before he went to the fields. His mom finished sixth grade. Uh, and he, yet he said, they were the wisest people. And seeing the potential that, that, that Charlie Pride had, he, he was gonna be a professional baseball player and then became you know, this wonderful musician. But his mom said to him, you know, Charlie, love beats everything. And that was his guiding, guiding principle throughout life. Love beats everything. That's a great way of saying it. That's a summary of the summary. The two greatest commandments, and then, of course, the, the paraphrase, love beats everything. And not just love as an end in itself. Love is not God, but God is love. And so the good life advances this peace, this harmony, that God has made possible among people and between him and people. This is the amazing thing that we're invited into that defines and describes the good life, the source of the good life for us. It's the fruit of God's spirit in people. The best of God made real in people's lives, in their marriages, in their families, their communities. Things like this. Again, Paul writing to, his, uh, to these believers in, in Galatia, southern Turkey. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Why? Because they fulfill the law. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And so there's nothing you can hold against these qualities that come out of a life lived in the Spirit of God. This God-quality life, this good life, um, is described in those words, the fruit of the Spirit. So the third point then is this. How do we live this God-quality life? How do we uh, appropriate it? How do we access it in a practical way? I've already said, I, I can live so easily as a functional atheist. And perhaps you find yourself doing that as well. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, as somebody has said it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, and just because you declare Christ as Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean you're living into uh, what he's given us and what is available to us. 
So how do you live into this God quality life? Uh, the the half brother of Jesus, James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, uh, ultimately martyred for his faith. Uh, but in a, in, a, in a very practical letter, he writes this: "Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life." You can quote the Bible all day long. You can tell me all your great theological ideas. But what does it look like in you? Remember I said when dads get concerned that their kids might not listen to them? James says, I can assure you, they will not. They will watch what you do. And so here we are. He's saying, we're these followers of Jesus. We believe he's the Messiah, the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and God's promises. And so this, this community is watching and saying, let's see the fruit of that. What does this look like? So he's writing to people who are followers of Jesus, 100% of them Jews at this point. And so he says, who's wise, who's understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Not a human wisdom. Again, not a human construct of, I'm going to get it together, I'm going to do it better. This, this semester, I'm going to start this, the term paper the first day instead of the last night. So James says that wise people live well by humbly doing what God commands. And what has God commanded us to, us to do? Well, to learn how to love and to learn how to love wisely. Why? Because love makes us creative. It makes us resourceful. It makes us persistent. Why, again? Because we are motivated. We see the transforming impact it has in our lives. To know that you are loved makes it possible to live. I, wish, I, I just wish I had a chance to talk to Kate Spade. Kate, God loves you. Nothing and no one can take that away from you. I would have loved to then jet it over to Paris and, and to say, uh, Tony, God loves you. Nothing and no one can take that away from you. Then if I had had time, I'd like to have talked to the other 863 people who committed suicide that week and tell each one of them, God loves you. Nothing and no one can separate you from his love. Would, 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 would medication help? Would therapy help? All of it. But nothing ultimately is, is as effective as knowing that you are loved. Unequivocally, unconditionally by God. That you likewise can learn to love others like he loves you. Starting with yourself. Well then the pushback on that would be, well, yeah, but life is hard. It's unpredictable. How, how do I get the wisdom to do this? I believe this stuff. I really try hard. I pray. But I just I keep, I keep going back to my same old bad habits, and it's frustrating being me. I know the feeling. It's embarrassing being me. It's just embarrassing being me. Uh, it's embarrassing sometimes for my family for me to be me. Well, it's more than sometimes, but I, I'm just saying sometimes. Uh, we all have blind spots, and they call them that for a reason. I'm the last. I'm the first to admit it. I'm the last one to know. And so this is what James uh, had written earlier in his letter. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, of your own making or that, that fall on you in the course of a day or a week or a, a life. Have joy, not in the, because of the trials, but in the midst of the trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith, the development of your faith, the construction of a durable faith produces perseverance. If you're paying attention to God. To persevere means to go further than you think you could possibly go. Further than what's reasonable. What anybody should have to do. Perseverance goes beyond the rationale that I've done everything I can do and everybody would agree. Right, that's true. Keep going. And so James says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Fully developed, fully alive a better version, a more complete version of you, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. Basically, he's saying this, turn to your Heavenly Father and then keep turning to your Heavenly Father. Because we're in a, a process of redevelopment. Our identity is changed like that. As soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are a new creation in Christ. And then the rest of your life is living into the reality of that, growing into the potential and the fullness of that. It's process and, and, and progress now, perfection later. So turn to your Heavenly Father. Uh, here's an old saying. Success has many fathers. Failure is an orphan. 
You've heard that probably. Simply means that everybody wants to take credit for success. Nobody wants to take credit for failure. But let me flip that for you. What's the ladder you're climbing? Where is the ladder that you are climbing, the pathway you're on taking you, and who are you traveling that with? Who are you climbing that ladder, so to speak, with? Because true success, and I don't mean the superficial, just material prosperity, which is good, but not enough. True success is the impact of choices and influences that shape us for God. We make the choices, but we also have people who can influence us. Who are those people for you? So if success has many fathers, then who are going to be the fathers to ensure your success? Because if you don't allow those people into your life, you are guaranteed to be a failure, an orphan. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Uh, there's a phrase about the British. A British person is a self-made man who worships his own creator. <laughs> it's a very bad definition of being a, a, a man. So who are your spiritual fathers? Who is influencing you to live well? Who are you letting into your life to give you feedback? Because any of us are going to be like uh, what James describes. Coming to God and saying, Lord, I, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. And so if, as, we, as we ask him for wisdom, what does he typically do? He brings people into our life. He connects us to people. Lord, I need wisdom. Yeah, okay, go see this counselor. Well, no, no, what I need is wisdom. Okay, go see these two counselors. I don't know. I mean, the idea is that start with people. You've already turned to God. Now God's going to work through people, family members, friends, mentors, colleagues, counselors, and it's through that process of drawing us into a constructive conversation that we get the feedback we need. The, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. It's a proverb saying, look, let people get close enough to you, scary close to you, to say, this is what I'm seeing in you, and give you the kind of critical feedback you need, constructive feedback you need. And then let those people be the people who encourage you, cheer you on, celebrate your progress, commiserate over your failures. And all of a sudden, these people become your spiritual fathers and mothers. They could be in a life group with you. They could be in a, a, you, people you walk with, you work out with, you do whatever with. If you've ever gone fishing, there's a lot of time in fishing when nothing ever happens. Fishing is an activity where nothing ever happens for a very long time. It's in those moments when you can say to somebody, hey, you know, I've been thinking about some things. I'd love your feedback. Who are your spiritual fathers? Who's influencing you? And then to whom are you a spiritual father? Who are you taking the time to earn the right to be heard so that you can speak into their life? Not to try to control their life, to tell them what to do, but to be present to them, to say, is there anything I can do to give you feedback and encouragement? Because I really like you. I really like being in a relationship with you. Can we go beyond the superficial and talk, to, talk about what's really real? Can you imagine the pain and the agony of all the people close to Kate and Tony when they heard the news said, but we were friends. I wish she'd called me. I would have stayed up all night with them. I wouldn't have left their side if necessary. I would have done anything and everything in my power. I'm not judging the weakness of a person in a state of, of, of being absolutely overwhelmed that would cause them to take their life. I'm simply saying we have resources. We don't have to live like orphans. We live in community. God at the center of that community and all the people he brings in that constellation of relationships that are available to us if we're only open enough, humble enough. Let me leave you with this word. Be curious about your life. Stop judging yourself and start being curious. I wonder why I'm feeling this. I keep coming back to these feelings or these scenarios. I keep bumping into these same issues. I keep dating these same rotten people. I keep waking up being married to the same rotten person. I don't know, whatever it takes. Just be curious, okay? And then take responsibility. What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? And then and apply that in your relationships to your spouse. Be curious about your spouse. Hey, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do I need to know that you haven't been comfortable telling me about me and about us? Be curious about your children. Don't interrogate them. Just be curious. And don't say things like, you're kidding me. You what? Just, just go, hmm, interesting, very interesting. Whose car was that you wrecked? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. <laughs> Do I need to pay anything? So persevering simply means remembering our purpose, loving God, people, and yourself. It results in maturity, the fullest development of you.
It's loving wisely, learning wisely, living wisely that makes us mature. Now, let me finish with this. If someone or something offends you or hurts your feelings, get over it. Because somebody will. Usually the people closest to you. And they usually don't mean to. So how do you get over it? Real simple. Love God and love people like you want to be loved. Stop carrying grudges. They're impossibly heavy and burdensome. Let it go. Get over it. And simply start loving people like God loves you and like you want to be loved. And be curious enough to explore the possibilities of what could be different about the way you experience your relationship with them. And if people shut you out and, and, and shut you down, you've done your best. But until you put yourself in that place to be open to this amazing thing that God wants to create a living well in you, that you would be a river to your friends, just like he is a river of life to you. That you could live the good life in a way that is absolutely normative and attractive in the midst of your fallenness and your brokenness in this world. You can say unequivocally, you know, I would have never thought I could say this, but I'm living a really good, good life because I experienced the goodness of God in my life one day at a time. So Lord, that's my prayer for me, my brothers and sisters here, uh, this extended network of family and friends. Uh, I pray that this would be the defining uh, factor in our lives, this transformational love that we experience in you and together from you. That it would be the only way to describe us, people who are loved and are learning how to love like you love us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This brings us to a time of tithes and offerings. And as the ushers come forward, let's just reflect on the message. and Where is God working in our lives? Where is he calling us to love him more and to love other people more? And as the baskets go around, it's our time to celebrate where he is working in our lives, where he is pushing us and, and goading us to go farther. It's, a, it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reflect on what is he calling us to? What are we committing to as disciples? And, and how are we going to partner with him in the work of the gospel in this community, in the work of the gospel in our lives? So as baskets go around, just celebrate what he's doing in your life and celebrate what he's doing in this community. Let's continue our worshiping with giving and song.
joy, you were my passion, my all in all, Jesus, my all in all, you're my all in all, Jesus, my all in all.
both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.